one of the dynamics I gave myself, a challenge, when I was in Thailand, was I'm going to walk up and down this three-mile beach on this little island in the middle of nowhere called Kopengan until I no longer compare myself to others. And over there, uh, it's sort of clothing optional or not a lot of clothing, so I just had this little G-string on. And uh, I walked back and forth, and I cried. I cried for all those years of being raised in a society where beauty was valued maybe more than brains or where our sexuality was shamed as taboo. And I just wanted to come to a place where I was free, just free to be me, free to love myself, free to love others, and no more of this insecurity or competition. And it was what I would call my first direct experience where I walked back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until one time I turned around towards the setting sun and I swear that the ground fell out from beneath me. There was no gravity. I was one with the sand. I was one with the sky. I was one with the waves. I was one with the air. And everyone I looked at glowed like a bodhisattva. And I felt infinite, timeless. And I knew I was one with everything. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, the topic today is relationships. Now, every single person has one, and I do the intro with Alana Pratt today as far as her expertise as a relationship expert and the things that she's learned and the workshops she's sold. She's had over 5 million views on YouTube, been doing it for 20 years, so very, very powerful. So when we think about life, one of the conversations that occurred during today's show and when we were recording it was just how important it is for you to know yourself, to be clear about who you are, that we want to try to remove that neediness where we plug into other people to have our find our worth or find our value. And so one of the things that we have uh, recently completed, and depending on when you're listening to the show, maybe it's a little bit while ago, but it's there now is our Quest for Purpose online course. This is my life's work of over 30 years, and it's based on my book of the same title, The Quest for Purpose, and I take you on a roadmap, a step-by-step process to get clear in all areas of your life. Yes, there's some effort and work on your part, but man, it is clearly set up sort of like a paint by numbers so you have all these different colors all these different elements of your life and so we give you a roadmap to determine what your why is your purpose uh, clarity in 13 different areas in your life very simple and straightforward you just have to do the work so I encourage you to take a look at that if there's somebody that you really care for that is struggling with direction or uh, worth, then just recommend that course to them. And uh, that'll be something that's there for them is the Quest for Purpose e-course that's on the CRG Leader site. Now, as always, thank you for being a listener. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, uh, leave a positive review or comment on whatever platform you're listening on. So here's today's show with Alana Pratt. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, relationships. I think we all have them somewhere, somehow, personal, professional. And today, we are fortunate to have a relationship expert with us that's really going to help us to 
get through these times and stressors, regardless of what the times are. And so welcome to the show, Alana Pratt. Uh, thank you so much for having me. You're right. Everything is a relationship with ourselves, with the divine, with our kids, with our beloved. We even have relationships with our money, with our purpose, every direction. So I'm really interested to see where we dive into today. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much. And, and one of the things we like to do here on Secrets of Success is we want to hear your story first. So, I mean, you're the author of six books and we have lots of different uh, directions we can go with it. And you, we want to talk about, you know, mistakes that destroy relationships. But before we get there, we want to hear about your journey and uh, where thou cometh from. <laughs> when I use a little English there. So uh, birth, born, what sort of part of the country you're born in and what's kind of your, your history as a person growing up and your family of origin and just some of the things you have there. Mm, thank you. Yeah. So I am a small town Canadian girl. I was actually born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and yet we moved to Kamloops, British Columbia when I was about two. So that's a smaller town where you, um, anything that happens gets back to your mom and dad. So yeah, uh, you have to be, be careful with what, you, what your different choices are. And I, I loved growing up in Canada, and, and although I didn't really feel like I fit into what my dad wanted me to do, which was to take over Pratt's Pharmacy, the little drugstore with the big heart, and while I worked there for several summers, my, my natural inclination wasn't to be a pharmacist, nor was it to be a teacher like my mother. My mom taught ESL, but I did feel more aligned with teaching but that still wasn't quite a fit. So after two years of college, I, my Uncle Phil drove an 18-wheeler semi down to L.A. once a month. And I went, okay, this is, this, is my, this is my plan. And so I sold my car. I quit college. And I hopped on Uncle Phil's semi, much to my parents' chagrin, because I had been a dancer. And I played piano, all of that since I was five. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be one of those dancers on the cruise lines that I've seen. And I'm just going to figure my life out later. But in the meantime, I'm going to have fun and travel and express myself. So down to L.A. I went to be a dancer. And I was talented well, hang enough. On. Let's just stop you a second. Yeah. How did you get across the border without being detained? Well, I guess I just must have looked like Uncle Phil's girlfriend or daughter or something because nobody asked anything. I just <laughs> went on, went on down. Gotta love it. And by the way, we didn't say this before we got on air. I'm from Vancouver. I'm in Vancouver and my brother-in-law lives in Kamloops. So no. uh, I get it. And I ride through, because I'm a motorcyclist, <gasps> I ride through Kamloops every summer. Several oh my times. goodness. Okay. So, so we, we totally, are, we are connected. We are. Connected. We might've even hung out or seen each other or crossed at the cross stop. So <laughs> we never oh, know. Uh, it is possible. And you know, my um, brother-in-law, of course, he raised his whole family there. He's been there for 40 years. So for sure, small, isn't it a small world? Like it's a teeny, beautiful teeny, teeny world. And I love his that. son is yeah. a cross border trucker. So <gasps> that's, I can't even believe that. Oh my goodness. Maybe I even, and my wife teaches ESL. No. Okay. Yeah. We're just like, the synchronicity is bonkers, Ken. Bonkers. Mm. There you wow. go. So okay. anyways, um, I liked you before this. I even like you more now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody that's listening, we're just having a conversation here. We'll, we'll exclude you for the minute. No, moment. <laughs> uh, so now you, you get on a truck. And yep. by the way, what did you take in college? 
I well initially I took business, which now I love, but at the time I really hated. I I wasn't very good at ma uh, math, and I failed quantum quantum something or other. Anyways, I didn't do very well in it. But when I went back to college, and we'll get to that part of the story soon, but then I took art history, and that was really when my soul began to awaken. Mm, art history. Uh, yeah. Were you taking that in Kamloops at that time? or No. Well, I'll, I'll do like a little foreshadowing, and I'll continue the story, because I actually oh, took art sure. history in New York City at Columbia University and graduated cum laude from this incredible institution. Well, so, man, you jumped over like half your life right there. So, so we're going to come back to that in a minute. I love it already. So you take, you get on your, get on this. What were you thinking when you, you know, get on this truck with your uncle and you're going to go across the border? Do you have any plans? Was it like, where did this even motivation to do it? This crazy Say, idea. Exactly. Well, back in Kamloops, I was Miss Kamloops princess. And we had a sister city in Fontana, California. So we had gone down earlier to Fontana and went to Disneyland and the beach and all that kind of mm. stuff. So I had some connections and that was my only idea was, okay, I'll get there. I'll get to Fontana. I'll stay with some of my sister city people. I'll get a job at like Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm, something like that, or maybe a cruise line. And that's about as far as I got. And so I crossed the border, I got there and I started can to go to all these different auditions and I was talented enough and brave enough, but I didn't have the visa. And so I would stand in line at 5am in the morning, downtown Los Angeles to get myself one of those social security cards from America, not from Canada, even mm -hmm. though plane across that it said not valid for employment. I would just put my like thumb over it when I showed people it. Mm -hmm. But in the end, they're like, they're like, sister, you got to go back. You don't even have a visa to work here until one day I auditioned for a show in Tokyo. And the, at, by this point, my good Canadian upbringing of always telling the truth, I said, you know what? I'm really sorry. I'm a Canadian. They're like, oh, no problem. All of us need visas, Americans and Canadians to go perform in Japan. So you can audition. And I got the job. And so with $40 left to my name and a credit card from my father that was only to be used to admit failure, come back, go back to college and go work at the pharmacy. That was all I had. I hopped yeah. on a 14 hour flight all the way over to Japan and I had gone later than everybody else because my so, passport went to the Canadian. Oh, it was like 19. So where'd you get the chutzpah for that? I mean, this is like, okay. Let's go into a whole different culture, a whole different part of the world, get in an airplane. And so where did you think you got that kind of tenacity or courage? You know, it's a great question because when I was 16, I had two best friends and we had a cabin out at Shoe Shop Lake and they were both supposed to come out for the weekend. And the one girl came down the stairs and they would always play jokes on me. And she, uh, our other friend was a gentleman and she said, James is dead. And I said, stop, what are you guys playing in another joke on me? And then my girlfriend's parents walked down the stairs and it was real. Mm -hmm. And I remember running down the two lane highway right by my cabin screaming, no. And it was my dad that came down that yellow line. There were cars screeched everywhere. And he took my shoulders and he shook me and he goes, look, if this is it, if you're never going to see your friend again, let's kill ourselves now too. Life is eternal. And my dad, up until that point, had been the drunk, stoned guy that I didn't trust and I didn't really care for, loved, but was 
simultaneously scared of. And in that moment, he changed the trajectory of my life. He woke up my spirituality and he showed me that there was a life beyond death. And that evening, Ken, my friends had taken me off to the provincial park to go riding bikes to try to put me in a better mood. And when I got back down to my cabin, Ken, that evening on a clear blue sky evening, not a cloud in the sky, there were two rainbows right onto my cabin. And I knew it was a sign that he was okay. And in fact, his mother had died 10 months earlier. So he was with his mom in heaven. And in that moment, I decided would I never, would I have chosen to never meet him and never feel this pain or to meet him feel this pain and learn how to open my heart again and of how, course I, mean, I chose if I may the ask, you don't have to answer but how did what, what was the incident that took James's life a car accident and he didn't wear his damn seatbelt and every time I drove him anywhere he always wore his seatbelt mm. yeah you're still ticked with them <laughs> yeah uh, oh, I get that yeah when you're young and you're 16 we live forever and of course those kinds of things really do changes now you yeah. mentioned you just slipped it in, but you bypassed it. But as a host, I don't let it go by. He is about your dad and some of his mannerisms. Even though he had this pharmacy, he still had some habits that were not all that positive. So did he overcome some of those habits and change? or how All these years... That? All these years later, yes, he has. He's dry now. Um, but when I grew up, he wasn't. And And so when I left... You know, in hindsight, part of the reason why I didn't want to take over the pharmacy, one, it's just not my purpose, but true, it wasn't a safe, calm, um, integrous environment for me to be in either. Um, so that was a wonderful memory that I had with my dad when he was there for me when James died. He also stood by me in the church when I said the eulogy. So there were some really amazing moments that brought him out of the, the um, inebriation, but overall, mm he had his own demons that he didn't know how to handle at the time. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was a great uh, digression from Japan. So I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, you just never know where it's going to go. And I think, you know, part of the reason that we have uh, so many listeners on secrets of success is just the power of story yeah. and what it does to people. And the fact that you're over to overcome that. And so, uh, we were back in, you're on an airplane, you're heading to Japan. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're in the seat. What are you thinking you're heading over there? What, what are some of the emotions going through you? Well, I'm, I'm alone because all the other girls went earlier because it took longer to get the passport back from the Canadian embassy rather than the American embassy within America. So mm. I was, I was kind of scared and I figured, look, if I get there and nobody's there, I'll just turn around and go home. Or I'll figure it out and I'll backpack, I'll do whatever. Best case, somebody's there and I find all the other dancers that I've been rehearsing with and we have a great old show. So I got there and there was this little sign that said, Arana, Arana-san. So I'm like, that's me. And then they said to me, no English. And I'm like, oh. And then they beckoned me with these little fingers and off I went into a truck. Um, and we started driving for an hour. And they said, hungry? And I said, no because I only had like $40. I was starving two hours. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to die for sure. Hungry. No, no. Three hours. I'm like, I'm definitely going to be sold into slavery. Oh my God. Hungry. And I'm like, and you go, I pay. I go, yes, hungry. So we went to like a Denny's 
and I had spaghetti with those little fish eggs and seaweed on top, but it was good enough. And then finally, we got to the Hot Spring Hotel, four hours, four and a half hours north of Tokyo, and all my girlfriends ran out, and I burst into tears because I wasn't going to be sold into slavery after all. And we had an extraordinary three months of literally performing two shows, dancing and singing, at this beautiful hot spring hotel, uh, living in these little apartments, and being the only Caucasians for miles, miles and miles. It was amazing. Mm, mm. So with three months now, did you head back to the U.S. after that? or No, because I'm a tenacious adventurer. So we went to Tokyo. We learned a lot. We met a lot of um, Israeli, uh, after the military, a lot of Israelis backpack. And when we got down to Tokyo, we met more uh, Caucasians and people from the U.K. or Australia or America or Canada. And there were a lot of different jobs for what they called gaijins, you know, foreigners. And so we uh, took a quick little jump over to Saipan and came back to renew our visas. And as a Canadian, I could have a working holiday visa. And so I renewed that working holiday visa over and over for years, becoming a model, a dancer, an English teacher, a spokesperson. And within a couple years, I was making more than my parents combined. I was really quite successful. Wow. So how long did you stay in Japan? I stayed there four years, and in year three, I met the tall, dark, and handsome uh, multimillionaire expat from Wall Street and decided, um, actually, I decided at the time, to be very, very honest, I didn't know it at the time because I was kind of in automatic pilot, but a little bit of the damsel in distress where, you know, I never got daddy's love, so I would always seek this attention and presence. So I was literally looking for what was familiar and what was familiar was like a lack of presence that I would seek. Am I good enough? Do you see me? Mm. You know, do you, do you love me? So he was, he was lovely, but not the depth of spiritual connection, intimate connection that now obviously as an intimacy expert is my whole entire life. And yet we were together for about six years and uh, we moved back to the States together We got married. We lived in Connecticut. I went to New York City to go to school. I went to Columbia University, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. That's where I studied art history and went to all the different galleries and museums. And I would come to the city. We had an apartment in the city, Monday through Thursday, go to school. And then I would go out to Connecticut on the the weekends and live the she-she married life with a big rock on my hand. Um, And yet I found Ken that I wasn't, I was grow. I was growing, I was maturing into a much more spiritual, sensual woman, but I would hide in the closet to meditate because he thought that was kind of weird. And the, a lot of the other, not all of them, but a lot of the other gentlemen who were married, his colleagues, you know, when you put your hand on the small of a woman's back, that's maybe good manners, but if it's a little down on their butt, it's not good manners. Mm. And that's where they would like kind of touch me. So it felt very uncomfortable. I wasn't being honored for the, mm. the goddess that I am. So after six years, we had moved out to LA. We went to counseling. We went to therapy. We did workshops, but it wasn't, it wasn't a fit. And so I completed that marriage. And it was an amazing time because here I was. I couldn't work in the States yet. I was married, but I still didn't have my green card. I could go back to Tokyo, but that was a hard life. Work, teaching English all day, dancing in shows six six nights Mm -hmm. a week. I could go back to Canada, but that would mean I'd failed and it would have to go back to college and take over dad's pharmacy. But I wasn't in 
a, a thriving marriage. So when I finally said I'm done, the very next morning, guess what came in the mail? Mm-mm. The green, green card. card. Yep. Oh, yep. Man. Oh, yeah. Timing, timing. Now, I want to go back for a second. Uh, so, you know, here's this person that's teaching English. They're doing dancing. Uh, now an intimacy expert. Where did this art college come from? Mm, I just love beauty. I love the beauty of, of art, the beauty of food, the beauty of like a fine wine, the beauty of fashion, the beauty of architecture. I've just always been drawn mm. to beauty. Mm. And so when I got to, to college, I also had traveled a fair amount around Southeast Asia. I had backpacked through China, Bali, um, Korea, um, obviously Japan. And I, and I learned that not everybody believed in the God that was a dude in the sky with a beard. I'm like, oh, Shintoism, Buddhism. You know, I, I was learning all these different religions, like not just a couple people, like millions and billions of people. So it was very curious to me to learn what was the thread of religion? What was the thread of our hearts? What was the thread through not just looking at a history book? I wanted to see it through art. So back at Columbia, I put all the pieces together and I learned about all different art over all different cultures, over all different time. I wanted to get this bird eye view so I could feel into, you know, where, what is the source of joy? What is the source of pain? And how do we express that and move through that? Wow. Quite the story. Quite the story. So have you written this story in a book somewhere? I have six of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what are some of your books so the audience can look you up there? And we'll make sure they have all your contact info by the end of the show. But uh, what are some of the books that you have? Thank you. The most recent one is Finding the One is BS and Becoming the One is Brilliant and Beautiful. There's ones for moms called When Mama's Happy, Everybody's Happy. There's ones for gentlemen's called How to Be a Noble Badass. And there's ones for women, how to be and stay sexy, being exactly who you are. There's mm. other ones for gentlemen called scoring a relationship, turning gifts into experiences that she will never forget. And uh, there will be a seventh book, but I, I need a good year or two to, to write that because I'm actually launching a dating app right now. And that's taking up a lot of my time. It's called Heartmates, and it actually came from all of the beautiful clients that I work with. I want to support them and serve them more. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for that. Now, you mentioned that you moved to L.A. before um, ending sort of that first marriage. Uh, what was the motivation behind going to L.A.? He was a Wall Street guy, and their firm, Kidder Peabody, got sold to Payne Weber, and not all the positions got filled. And so some of them started a hedge fund out in Greenwich, Connecticut, but it wasn't what my former husband was thrilled about. He really wanted to get into real estate. So he decided he would move out to L.A. first and find a place for us to live as I finished up Columbia. And then I moved out to L.A. so that he could live his dream and I could follow along my own. And when I started to go, I was never really into church growing up. However, there was a, a spiritual center called Agape in Los Angeles, uh, Reverend Michael Beckwith. And it was my jam. It was my people. They said, like, Mother, Father, God. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Um, and they had all this, these, like the Dalai Lama would show up one day and talk. Um, really cool people. It was very inclusive. And that is very much uh, alignment with my brand, my dating app. We are inclusive. So I found my people 
And I realized I didn't need to hide in the closet to meditate. That my take on sexuality being sacred and that our bodies uh, being divine temples, that was like kind of like a duh, of course, to a lot of these people that I would hang out with in Los Angeles. So I felt, oh, for goodness sakes, thank you. I found my tribe. It felt mm-hmm. like home. So here you are. You, what are you doing for work at that time now that you've, you've got your green card? So now where did you apply that green card when you got it? Yeah. So when I, when I left my first husband, there was no, I signed a prenup. So there was no money in that deal. I just left. So, um, I, I started putting on, I called them goddess getaways retreats. I also started teaching Pilates because as a dancer, I really enjoyed, Mm. uh, that way of being healthy in our bodies and the way our posture, when you open your heart and elevate your yourself, there's an energy that pours through you. So I started teaching Pilates and, uh, and that paid the bills um, with a little bit of savings that I had. And then as I began to take more workshops, first I started at Landmark Education and they said, hey, you're good. Would you like to be a coach? And then you're really good. Would you like to be the head coach of all the coaches? And so I'm, when I finally got uh, a divorce and it was on my own, I said, okay, well, I've got to put out my shingle. I've got to start charging for this. And I did. And that was, you know, 15, 15 20 years ago. Wow. Now, where did these uh, workshops come from? So Pilates, I get that just seems like a natural transition. But what was really driving this workshop? And where did you even get the content or information as an instructional designer? I'm asking that question. Well, I had learned a lot from life. I mean, obviously, I learned a lot from a very high institution as well uh, with with beauty. But back, if we took us back to like some backpacking days in Thailand, I remember very distinctly being insecure and comparing myself, being a model, being a dancer to other people and and feeling so very insecure. So one of the one of the dynamics I gave myself a challenge when I was in Japan, sorry, when I was in Thailand was I'm going to walk up and down this three-mile beach on this little island in the middle of nowhere called Kopengan until I no longer compare myself to others. And over there, uh, it's sort of clothing uh, optional or not a lot of clothing. So I just had this little G-string on. And uh, I walked back and forth and I cried. I cried for all those years of being raised in a society where beauty was valued maybe more than brains or where our sexuality was shamed as taboo. And I just wanted to come to a place where I was free, just free to be me, free to love myself, free to love others and no more of this insecurity or competition. And it was what I would call my first direct experience, Ken, where I walked back and forth and back and forth and back and forth Mm. until one time. I turned around towards the setting sun and I swear that the ground fell out from beneath me. There was no gravity. I was one with the sand. I was one with the sky. I was one with the waves. I was one with the air. And everyone I looked at glowed like a bodhisattva. And I felt infinite, timeless. And I knew I was one with everything. And it was very, very profound, very beautiful. And ever since then, I've had more direct experiences. I've gone on many different spiritual adventure tours or, or workshops or trainings, etc., to have oneness with this place that I believe we all come from and return to where we never are really born and never really die. Our spirit, yes, our body does, but not, not our spirit. And because of that, I was able to let go of self-judgment 
I was able to look people in the eye and not dart my eyes away in case they rejected me. So there were these skills that I was learning of how to love our body, how to come home. I call it little you inside of our heart and soothe ourself so that we find safety, security, appreciation, approval from the inside out, not from the outside in as I had done with that marriage you know, looking for my ex-husband's approval to finally be good enough, I had learned some skills. Was I masterful yet? No. But did I have enough to teach others? Yes. And so that's what I began with my workshops. I called them goddess getaways. And I just helped a lot of women get out of their head, into their heart, and into their body as divine, divine creatures. And then over time, my goodness now, it's been 20 years, so I probably spent over 200K on different trainings, so I'm always a student. I'm always learning. And, and then I give my clients what it is I learn. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, there was, there's a little pickup in the middle of this where I think a lot of, well, maybe, I don't want to say a lot. I don't want to have that a judgment. But there are people out there where you have somebody like yourself who is confident, attractive, yet this insecurity on the beach Explain that to the audience where seemingly people that would view you from the outside and not you, but I'll say that as a, a metaphor, an avatar, yeah. they'll see other people out there. So, oh, well, they're not insecure. Ken's not insecure. So uh, help us with that. Where does this insecurity come for people? And I suspect, I mean, one of the things we want to do with the show, not only story, but okay, what are some things I need to do? Uh, and where is this insecurity coming from like how how does that happen with all the success that you had up to that point well when we collapse our worth with our accomplishments we think our accomplishments are our worth and our accomplishments could be look at all the money I made or look at my degrees or look at my books or it could be uh, physical look Mm -hmm. how beautiful I am look how strong I am look at my big biceps look at my small butt like whatever it is Um, we begin to think because we get praise for that, we get appreciation for that, we get money, we get attention, that, oh, if I do more of that, then I'm good enough. If I do more of that, then I can rest on the inside. But the, the trick is, if you ever really feel there's that moment of celebration when you finally reach your goal, but then right after that, it pummels down, it plummets. Because you've got to do it again, so you can get more worse. Or, heaven forbid, if you lose it, maybe you'll lose all of that recognition and all of that love. And so that's where I ended up. It's the archetype of the prostitute. We sell our soul to get approval and appreciation from the outside in, as opposed to rewiring ourselves from the inside out, coming to the inside and disconnecting uh, the worth and the accomplishments. Accomplishments will come and go. Accomplishments are awesome, but they don't define my worth. Over here, now that I've uncollapsed them, my worth is my worth, is my worth. That's it. That's the end of the sentence. I am an infinite child of the divine. End of story. No matter what circumstance is happening in my bank account or no matter what my, you know, marital or relationship status is, no matter what the size of my body, like none of that has anything to do with my worth. And I made it very, very um, important to my soul's evolution to come home to that place inside So I could be that resting point and that safe space for my clients to also come home to that place of wholeness and completeness on the inside where we really do feel one with little you inside of our heart. And we also can rest 
into the arms of the divine, into the energy of the field, and feel at peace in our skin. Mm. So, you know, thank you for that. Because there's, there's books that have been written, the imposter syndrome, individuals who are in, you know, significant roles of responsibility, but every day sort of get up with doubt. And because um, we said, you know, you're right. Are we good enough? You know, I grew up in a family where there was no affirmation, zero. Mm. Uh, my dad's 88 as we tape this, and he mm. has never verbally said that he loves me. Wow. So when you have that, you, you kind of doubt yourself. Now, I know that he does. He just grew up in an Eastern European sort of background that saying you love somebody is a sign of weakness, so you just don't do it, right? Right. So right. you would do it through different methods or methodologies. Now, uh, we don't have a lot of time, about 10 minutes left, but I wanted to touch base with these top five mistakes that are destroying relationships. We want to be able to put some feet to this story of yours. So as you transition and now been in this space, and by the way, listeners, uh, Alana's got over 5 million views on her YouTube channel. So like a couple of people have watched you. So <laughs> congratulations on that. Even though we're not trying to, you know, focus on success, but it does sort of emanate or show uh, the impact that you're having. So what are these five mistakes that are destroying relationships so that our audience can just, you know, think about that, ponder it, or maybe implement them as they end listening to this show today? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So the first one, we, we really look to another. We need them to make us happy. And when we put our happiness in the hands of another person who we can't control, by the way, it's kind Mm -hmm. of insane. And so instead, we can soften our need for another to be a certain way for us to be happy. And we can take all of that responsibility back into ourselves to to make choices for our own happiness and give from the overflow. And, And when we do this, any of our neediness which normally pushes people away, it dissolves and we become safer to be with, more um, nourishing to be with, and it really brings your conscious relationship closer. So that would be the first one that I wanted to go couldn't, through. I couldn't agree more where, you know, um, how does it go? Your your behavior is none of my business, kind of something <laughs> like that. Yeah, and your <laughs> opinion of me is also none of my business. Exactly. Yes, yes, I thank get it. you. Both of us have gone to those events somewhere along the way. So, yeah. okay, first of all, uh, I'm not looking to plug into others. Uh, there were many books that were talking about that. I plug into you, get my ha- happiness. That yeah, I get that. Okay, yeah. so number two. Yes, and so number two, we might have a way of looking uh, for – negative evidence like uh, we've been hurt maybe in the past and we vow I'm never going to be hurt again so I need to find this perfect person I can trust however everybody's human perfectly imperfect they're bound to hurt you at some point and you're probably going to hurt them consciously or unconsciously at some point along the way so if you could let go of looking for this perfect person who you can trust and instead go inside and begin to trust yourself trust your own knowing soothe yourself if it's been a difficult time and so you can come into that uh uh-huh uh-uh that's deep down in your intuition and your instincts and that is actually the way to be the safest on the planet rather than trying to control people and look for negative evidence and see i knew it um you're going to whatever you focus on you're going to find whatever you focus on expands and so if you keep looking for somebody to not let you down you're actually looking for someone to let you down. You're going to literally create your worst case scenario. So turn that around. Trust yourself. Come from an open heart 
and be willing to be brave and see people for who they are and who they're not. It is, that is such an important concept in life, period. You know, where you put your energy, you get more of. And so a lot of times, people say, well, I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be broke. So guess what you're going to be? You're going to be broke. Mm. So it, it is an interesting concept where most people, they focus on what they don't want versus what they want. So yeah. thank you for that. You're so welcome. So welcome. Yes. Well, I did all these, these mistakes, by the way, people, and I've turned them around. So don't worry where you are. Um, there's always, there's always a new, a new point of view. And the next one is a mistake that a lot of people make is when we get triggered, we see red, we go for the kill, we, we hit below the belt. And sometimes we really lash out, or sometimes it's a little bit more passive aggressive mm-hmm. uh, uh, in, in our ways, but it's cutting. And it's cruel and it's meant to hurt. And when we do this, we aren't in the best of our brain. We're not in our prefrontal cortex where we're creative. We have patience. We can think abstractly. No, we, within five seconds of being triggered, we go back into that reptilian fight, flight, or freeze. And we kill before we get killed. And so this mistake of hitting below the belt, I know we don't want to. And I know we're ashamed that we did, but how do we change this? And this is the deep inner work that I do with my clients to literally heal, process, integrate those places, those unresolved, unhealed, dark shadows within us, heal those all the way through so that the very worst can bring out the very best in you. That pain can turn into your power and your freedom. So be willing if there's a pattern in your life where you keep getting triggered and you keep hurting the people that you love, go to a therapist, go to a counselor, go to someone like me and resolve those issues. You'll feel better about yourself, proud of yourself as opposed to ashamed. And there'll be a lot more fun to be with in relationship. <laughs> Got that right. Now, do, are you familiar with Dr. David uh, Burns's work? No. Feeling good? No. Oh, oh, uh, he... Awesome. Right in this track. So there's a little, I mean, that book's been out for a bit. Uh, but his point is nobody, um, nobody is offended unless they've let themselves be, right? And then, of course, Dr. John Gottman's work out of Seattle, mm. who proved through the lab that once you are triggered or set off or offended, uh, you are no longer rational, which he Correct. did in, in the lab about, uh, yeah, the flesh of chemicals. You say and do things that you regret later yeah. on. So that, yeah. So the point that Dr. David Burns has in his book is that you are 100% in control of that responsiveness. Now, short story, and not to take the show away from you, is that I just encourage listeners not to practice on inanimate objects. In other words, if you get ticked off because your car can't uh, start and you start kicking it or hitting the steering wheel or whatever, you're practicing an anger response. Mm -hmm. You carry that into the rest of your life, including relationships. So don't practice that. Yes, I know the computer is frustrating you. Technology is frustrating you. But getting angry with it isn't going to help it. Mm. So perfect. So that's three. What's four? Yeah, number four is a lot of us are on the personal growth, self-development path, and we've read Eckhart Tolle or whatever. Like, we're like, we, we become sort of like a know-it-all in a relationship. So your partner comes to you and they're hurt about something, disappointed about something, needing a safe place to be heard, and you answer without compassion. You answer with more of an arrogance or a superiority, like you're a know-it-all, and it really is offensive. It doesn't make the person feel safe seen or understood. So to be sure, even though it's great to learn and great to grow, to stay curious 
to stay a humble student of life and to even make regular times to come together and just listen. Don't listen to fix and, and be right or be in control. Just listen to listen with no other goal other than that. You'd be amazed how much safer and deeper the intimate connection is with whoever it is in your life. So let's just say the scenario is this person's coming to share and they're hurt. Uh, and, it, and according to them, it's you who hurt them. How do you coach your audience to not get hooked to the people who are sharing and, you know, this know-it-all or whatever? And, and then, of course, it gets into if you would have done this or back and forth. So how do I stay uh, unhooked mm. when One this person is sharing these concerns which involve you? Yes. So the absolute trigger, I would really like to read that book that you referred to because I do believe we have a choice within that first five seconds. But if we go longer than that five seconds, as um, John Gottman said, we're, we're having a temper tantrum and a meltdown and we're, we're unreachable. So I teach my clients through these quantum psychology and spiritual technology processes how in the moment of that initial trigger to process that energy to stay present. I do it on my group coaching calls, my private calls, etc. So that when you go with that trigger towards your loved one and you're feeling hurt you don't wait longer than that five seconds and go for the kill instead you're able to stay present you still might be crying you still might be intense with the energy but you can keep your heart open and you can speak mm -hmm. from your heart not from your fear-based brain and then I give them this structure that I've learned and I've practiced for decades and actually I have practiced for decades. It's called the dyad. And basically it's a two-way communication and we do this on my conscious connection calls actually live with my dating app as well. That's what's different about my dating app. You actually get to become the one to find the one. We have these different skills. So in communication with your partner, you go back and forth and the only thing you get to say in response is thank you. You don't get, it's the rule of this communication. Mm -hmm. You don't get to have what you never, and you don't get to do any of that. And you go back and forth and you just say thank you. And you'd be amazed by the end of a 30-minute conversation. Tell me something you want me to understand that you think I may not understand. And then all the other person does when they've received your communication is say thank you. And then you switch within 20, 30, 40 minutes of being deeply understood without justification, reasons, interruption, any of that, there's normally heart open tears of connection. Misunderstandings are cleared up. Authentic, vulnerable connection has happened. Two souls and two hearts have come together and you get back to that place where nobody wanted to hurt each other in the first place. It's just that our little you got triggered on the inside and these conversations can be tremendously healing as well as deepening understanding and connection. You know, uh, thank you for that. It was, um, it's very similar process that we use for executive coaching and coaching leaders who for many years, they had to know it all to get where they're going yeah. and receiving feedback. And then of course they would argue with the feedback. So I was invited to an invite only event with Marshall Goldsmith and, and really, if you think about the stakeholder uh, feedback, even for business. So listeners, if this is, well, this is not personal. No, it works everywhere. Yeah. Is that if I'm a senior position and I need to hear from somebody, I just receive the feedback and I say, thank you. I don't have any sort of comments to it. So thank you for that. I know that it, it works in the executive world as well. So we just mm. have a couple minutes left. So we have one more. So what's, <laughs> well, I'm curious, what's number five? 
Number five, five is when we really start to love somebody and we really don't want to have another fight on the weekend. We stop telling the truth. We hide our truth. We, we squelch that deep, authentic expression. And so I encourage people to have these dyads that we just referred to on a regular basis, like date night dyad. Mm. So you always have a safe space to tell the truth because you're not going to agree on everything. That would be scientifically impossible. So there's mm. going to be disagreements. You're going to be able to get to a place through these communication techniques to, to no longer hide your truth to express your truth, to be received for your truth. And it's okay to agree, to disagree, and even start to see the gift in another's annoying behavior or in, in the gift in another's different point of view. If we lean in with an open heart and curiosity and literally look for the message, the gift, the awakening, we will find it. It's there as well. And so no longer hide your truth. Be your most authentic self. And that way the relationship stays fresh and the roots grow deeper so the shoots can grow higher. Wow. Man, I, I imagine we could have a show that's six hours long, but sorry, listeners, we're not going to do it. Not today. <laughs> but but uh, so much wisdom in thought. So, uh, Lana, thank you for much for that and all the information they shared with us. My pleasure. I had a great time. You're a great question asker, taking me deeper into different areas than I normally go. I'm grateful, Ken. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. So how can people get a hold of you? What are the different contact points and where can they get your books? Yes. Well, if you're single, I would love you to go to heartmates.app and check this out because it's different. It's a dating app and an intimacy training and live conscious communication all wrapped into one. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about my books or my YouTube channel or my own podcast called Intimate Conversations, or we even have Heartmates for Couples and also another program, if you're in relationship, simply go to my website, alanapratt.com. There's even an intimacy blind spot assessment quiz there as well. So lots of complimentary resources to support you in becoming the one, to find the one, or to awaken the one you're with. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alana. I uh, appreciate that. So any, what's your final word of wisdom before we close this show today? Mm, just give yourself a break. Nobody's perfect. Everybody feels wobbly, insecure, and doubting from time to time. Lean in. Give that part of you inside a snuggle, a compassionate hug, and listen. Because there's some wisdom there. Even though it might be uncomfortable to be sad or ashamed or mad or uncertain, if you listen with compassion and have your higher self come to that little one inside, you'll feel calm, you'll feel home. And what will occur within your body and brain is, is oneness, intuition, abstract thinking, and you'll be able to choose the highest path for your personal and professional relationships. So take the time to go within. Intimacy is an inside job. Mm. Alana, thank you very much for staying uh, with us or being on our show. So stay with us as we wrap up the show. So thank you, Alana. Oh, my pleasure, Ken. Thank you. Secrets of Success listeners, Alana had a lot of wisdom for you, a lot of things to consider but really, one of, one of the ones that just stood out for me is if you're looking to other people for your happiness, you know, we're going to constantly be disappointed. This is really the, our own life. We can only bring ourselves. And as she had shared, is that we can't change somebody else or control them, even though sometimes we think we want to or we can. So my encouragement is, is that you would work on yourself, that you would, uh, you know, just bring a better self to the relationship. So this whole place 
uh, will be more positive. Thank you, as always, for taking your most valuable commodity, your time, and being with us today. So if you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, uh, leave a positive rating or comment on whatever platform you are listening on. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.